Hey friends, welcome to But What If You Did, the podcast for millennials that find themselves in the middle of the growth phase. You know, the part in the big life transition that doesn't feel good. This is the part where it feels so hard to show up every damn day. You may be in the thick of things right now, but someday you'll look back and be hella proud of yourself that you kept going. The growth phase is messy, but I believe in sharing my mistakes and missteps in hopes that it'll help others grow too. I'm positive our paths have crossed for a reason, and I'm so excited to have you along for the ride because now we get to grow through the hard stuff together. Hey friends, welcome back. I am so excited you decided to tune in today. I've got a really special episode planned for us today. Um, Today, I'm going to be having a conversation with my friend, Sam, and we're going to be talking about navigating emotional exhaustion during the pandemic. Um, You know, I think this is a topic that isn't really coming up a lot right now, or just we aren't really having open and honest conversations about it. And I think that that's really important, not only for our own emotional health, but for helping each other get through this all together, right? So I wanted to bring you a real talk episode where we kind of dig into the messy side of what's going on and the emotions, the raw emotions um, that we're experiencing. And I think Sam's the right person to have the conversation with because Sam and I process emotions and life circumstances and stress in very different ways, um, <laughs> which is always interesting when we're trying to help each other navigate, right? So I hope that whether you relate more to myself or whether you relate more to Sam, that you'll be able to take away some tangible tips and tricks that will help you to start or continue to make forward progress, even when times feel tough. And on that note, enjoy my conversation with Sam. Hi, and welcome to my podcast. Thanks for joining me. Hello, thank you for having me. I invited Sam to join me today so that we could have a conversation about emotional exhaustion, which is uh, a concept that I think a lot of us are experiencing right now. And it might be something that a lot of us are not used to um, dealing with and kind of processing. And I think it kind of looks a little bit different for everyone. Um, And with so many layoffs out there and furloughs and just long stretches of unemployment happening for so many millennials, um, I think it's you know, important for us to start having these open conversations about it so that um, we can help each other all through this. So when I say emotional exhaustion, what do you think about, Sam? What comes to mind? I think you definitely highlighted an important about how it can be highly personal and it's definitely different for everyone. So it might be a little bit difficult to really capture the the definition that fits everybody. But for me, I think it can definitely feel like being overwhelmed, but being overwhelmed in a way that you can't really describe. It's or you want to laugh and cry at the same time and you're not really sure what you want to do and you just whatever comes out of your mouth is some weird conglomeration of emotions. Um, and for me also, it's being inexplicably tired and not knowing why or drinking too much caffeine and still being ready for a nap. Um, also accompanied with lack of motivation and a feeling of hopelessness, but also feeling motivated. It's just very conflicting. It's having a lot of emotions at once, or at least for me, it's just a a feeling of being so overwhelmed, but you don't know really what to do. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think for me, emotional exhaustion has definitely felt like 
just a real lack of motivation. Like I can't stay focused on things, um, tasks that should be easy, like writing an email to someone or looking up a job posting or, you know, reading a blog article, like every little thing feels just exhausting and hard to focus on. And I also think it's a feeling of like feeling trapped, but not really knowing how to get yourself untrapped or unstuck from this weird spot you've found yourself in. So, you know, when I was doing some research on emotional exhaustion, um, you know, there are some really good articles out there, especially right now, just because um, so many people are going through this right now. And I was reading an article written um, by the Mayo Clinic uh, titled Emotional Exhaustion During Times of Unrest. And I think that that sums it up pretty well, is that a lot of us are experiencing this emotion, um, emotional exhaustion because of the unrest that's happening in the world around us, right? So when they defined emotional exhaustion, uh, they defined it as when stress begins to accumulate from negative or challenging events in life that just keep coming, you can find yourself in a state of a feeling emotionally worn out and drained. This is called emotional exhaustion. For most people, emotional exhaustion tends to slowly build up over time. Emotional exhaustion includes emotional, physical, and performance symptoms. Yeah, I definitely think that's an interesting definition because it affects you emotionally in terms of your ability to process stuff and physically, like you don't feel physically motivated to do anything. Um, And when I think of performance, I think of mental performance or emotional performance or your ability to cohesively form thoughts in a way that makes sense. Um, Like, for example, during this whole furlough time, I've been hyper-focused on nutrition, but for whatever reason, like I've had meltdowns over making a grocery list because I'm just so hyper-focused on doing something right or hyper-focused on feeling overwhelmed. And all of a sudden I'm like crying because I can't make this grocery list the way that I want to make the grocery list. And I think it can manifest like that for a bunch of different people. Um, So that's been a, a challenge to work through for sure. Yeah, I think like when I have noticed physical symptoms, like my general response to um, any kind of emotional stress is definitely either fatigue or headaches. Um, You know, and so like if I, I mean, I was prone to migraines for a big part of my life until I kind of figured out what was causing them and whatever. But I think that my default back into uh, dealing with any kind of emotional turmoil is a headache because for me, that's my like body telling me it's time to like shut down and step away from whatever the stress point is. Um, And same with like fatigue. Like I think, you know, I've seen a lot of friends just really just struggling with fatigue. Like you have all the time in the world to take all the naps that you want, but for people that are so hyper-focused on go, 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 and have been go, 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 go for so much of our adult lives, we haven't really had the opportunity to slow down. And so the fact that we have so much time to slow down, I think has like left us in this like over fatigued state. Um, But I also think that that's a direct correlation to the emotional exhaustion symptoms that a lot of us are experiencing. Yeah, I think for me, whenever I'm overwhelmed or stressed on a normal day, take the pandemic and the furloughs and being unemployed for a while out of it, I try to adapt the conservation of energy approach where if I have a lot of negative energy or exhaustion or something, some sort of stress or anxiety around a particular task, I try to transfer that negative energy into something else, which is why I'm always being productive or I'll say I have a high idle speed or I don't idle well is a term that I use a lot to kind of describe what I go through 
mentally whenever I'm feeling overwhelmed. Just if I'm being hyperproductive or overproductive in some way, chances are I'm exhausted or overwhelmed by something else where it's interesting to hear you talk about how yours manifests as fatigue because I think we deal with this differently. And I feel like you have to let that energy dissipate. You can't rechannel it because that'll just make you more tired. So you would benefit more from finding an appropriate rest schedule or a time to kind of decompress or read a book or go for a light jog if that's what you're feeling for me I definitely need to go do something at least in the first stages so that I don't let that overwhelmed feeling build up to a point that it's catastrophic meanwhile I think that would be worse for you if you were to try to be productive when you're feeling exhausted yeah I would agree with that I think that you know and I think part of it is like to some extent it's like the whole introvert versus extrovert and just how you like what is your social life like? How do you normally, you know, like, how do you reset when you're stressed? Like, for me, it definitely is, like, I need that quiet time. I need that time away from people. I don't want to talk to anyone. Um, but at the same side, or the opposite to that, I guess, would be when I'm dealing with something overly emotionally traumatic, I need to be able to talk through it. But it's only when I'm ready to talk through it, if that makes sense. <laughs> I think we just have different ways of, A, the emotional symptoms like manifesting, but also just different ways of um, coping, like you said, with some of that. Yeah. And talking about it, I see as a form of letting that energy dissipate, too. That's different than channeling it into, oh, I'm going to start a new project, or I'm going to work extra hard in my class, or I'm going to get this homework done way quicker, or I'm going to learn this new thing. I think what you said still aligns with needing that time to process and needing the time to rest. Yeah. So in that Mayo Clinic article that I was reading, um, some of the other types of emotional symptoms that they had talked about um, were anxiety, apathy, um, depression, that feeling of hopelessness, that feeling of powerlessness or being trapped, irritability, um, nervousness, that lack of motivation, and even tearfulness. Um, in addition to that, some of the other physical symptoms that they had kind of talked about were a lack of appetite, which I thought was an interesting one. Um, cause I've definitely seen on days that I'm more stressed that I'm less like for me personally, I'm less likely to go to the kitchen to want a snack. I'd rather just not do anything, um, or, uh, sore or tense muscles. I think other thing that we differ in definitely a stress eater really badly a stress eater so I find myself when I'm overwhelmed constantly staring at the fridge um like I'm I'm the person that will just stand in front of the fridge with a bag of shredded cheese and eat all of it um and then I feel shame but that's separate from being emotionally exhausted that's just I feel shame from eating a bag of cheese with a spoon <laughs> it happens meanwhile I, I just feel like I'm the complete opposite. When I'm stressed, food is like the last thing I want to deal with. And I have to like convince myself to go like eat crackers or just like pull out a piece of toast with some peanut butter. Like that's hard for me. I definitely, definitely yeah. different coping mechanisms. Don't get me wrong. I don't put any effort into any of this. There's no thought behind I should make it just meal or I should fuel my body in a way that makes sense it is literally eating shredded parmesan cheese 
with the fridge open out of the fridge, which is not healthy. And I've definitely been able to kind of reel that back in now that I have started to see a direction and dealt with these things a little bit differently, but stress eating is definitely a, a real thing. <laughs> so some of the, you know, the ways that it suggested to reduce emotional exhaustion, one of them was eating a healthy and balanced diet, which I know we're both pretty health conscious. So we're both aware that that's something we should be doing. But I think that that can be hard to implement when you're dealing with the emotional stress, because like you said, at that point, like it's often just whatever you can get yourself to eat, whether it's in, you know, someone's more like me, where it's, just getting themselves to be able to eat something bland like a cracker or a piece of toast or whether you're just eating the first thing you find in the fridge. I think that trying to tell yourself, yes, I have to go eat a healthy and balanced diet is great. But I think that that can be a, a hard thing to implement if it's not something that you're like, if it's not a habit that already exists or like that's not an established routine for you of some kind. Um, some of the other things that talked about were just getting enough exercise, getting enough sleep. Um, I thought this one was a good one, practicing mindfulness to engage in the present moment. Um, And then just like giving yourself time to rest and process emotions and to listen to your energy and to make the most of your energy spikes, which I think to some extent you talked about a little bit, just in managing your energy around things in stressful moments. Humans definitely thrive on structure. So having to go from having a structured day when you're at work to overnight having all of the time in the world and not really being able to keep up with your normal routine is detrimental if you don't know how to handle something like that. Yeah, I think that this definitely ties back to, I've already done an episode for everyone on um, establishing better habits and routine and why that that's important during any kind of... um, career pivot or life pivot um, of any kind is because that like for, you know, in my experience, habits have been like the one thing that I feel like have like helped me stay grounded and helped me like, honestly, remember what time of the day it is and that the next day has changed um, throughout the course of like everyone being quarantined now into having a little bit more time to be out and mobile and whatnot. But um, habits are that thing that, like you said, it gives you that structure to your day where you kind of have some expectation or kind of know what you're walking into next. Um, that's going to help you keep moving forward, even when it feels really hard to do that. Yeah. When we first started on this quarantine adventure prior to you even recording that episode, I know we had a lot of conversations about finding a routine. So at first I was super excited that I could cook every meal because I love cooking and I like making different things. But I found, given my cheese eating out of the fridge habit, that maybe that wasn't the best approach. So I started meal prepping breakfast. I wouldn't do it for all of my meals because I still wanted to be able to cook and have some freedom. But it was helpful to at least meal prep my breakfasts for the week. So I knew every morning, whenever it was breakfast time, that I could at least go and eat the breakfast that I prepared for myself. And that kind of helped kickstart my day a little bit to the point where I didn't feel like I had complete lack of control over what was going on. Um, definitely a lot of work to do there still in terms of establishing a routine for sure, but it helped. I will say, I think for me, breakfast is definitely the meal that I'm like the most consistent with. Like I always try to have, um, a fruit of some kind, some kind of complex carb, and then some kind of, 
um, like whether it's a Greek yogurt or a protein shake or something like that, so that at least I know I'm starting my day off fueling my body for what it needs to uh, be productive and keep uh, keep a little more on top of things, which can be hard to do when you have so much to do and yet nothing to do all at the same time. I think that's been another like hard part of all of this is it's like, you know, you have this to-do list of things and things that you need to like get done or you should get done, whether that's job searching, networking with people, taking a class to make sure that your skills are staying up to date or whatever it may be. Um, And yet there are days that it's really easy to do all of that. And there are days where the emotional exhaustion is real and it's really hard to do even the most basic task, like taking a shower or like you said, cooking yourself lunch or going for a walk because you just don't want to do anything. And I think it's also important in this time to give yourself a little bit of grace when it comes to having those bad days, because I know both you and I had those days where you would have a good day and I would be feeling awful. And then two days later, it would be the other way around. And I'm not as good with giving myself grace in those moments and being mindful and letting myself feel bad, but then also do something to change it or make steps towards changing it. Um, Coming to terms with not feeling the greatest because of whatever reason or whatever exhaustion you're feeling is an important step in taking action to fix whatever you can fix when it like we're in a situation where we can't really control anything. So the only thing we can control is our reaction to what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, So those external stimuli that we can't fix, like I can't make my employer give me my job back, but I can handle, but I can manage how I respond to it. And that sometimes goes well. Well, and you can manage what you're spending your time on when it comes to learning new skills Mm -hmm. and things that will make you more or more valuable to an employer, whether that's the same employer or a different employer in the future. Um, you know, I think a lot of it too comes down to like, just like really getting in tune with like your body and what your body needs and like learning to be more intuitive with like yourself. And like you said, like just how you're processing emotions, how you're dealing with things, how you're communicating with others around you, um, whether that's family or friends, because honestly, like, I think that there's also a big difference between how you're communicating with people that are going through a similar situation versus people that haven't been in our position. Um, I think that there's a a big gap in understanding as much as people are trying to be empathetic and they're, you know, and I do think that there is a good level of, um, you know, like people are not in, there's no misintent when it comes to like people wanting to help and wanting to help you feel better and wanting to check in on you. But I think that that's also part of the emotional exhaustion is having to talk about this all the time and be, you know, the constant check-ins and the constant when there's like, there's not much a lot of people can do to help right now, right? Like we're all kind of living this situation together. And so we're having very similar experiences, but also we're all having very different experiences um, because everyone's story is just playing out a little bit differently at this point. Yeah, initially, we all went through this collective moment of trauma bonding where we were all in this together and everyone was going through the same thing. And now because a lot of my peers and colleagues have gone back to work and I haven't, the original 
method of communication, which was just pure trauma bonding and complaining and talking about the crap that we're collectively going through doesn't really work anymore. So now there's a disconnect between what do you talk about? So when I talk to my team, who's all back at work and we're also, we're a small team, so we're all friends. So we still stay in touch. It gets a little awkward because they reach out and say, Hey, how are you doing? What's going on? And I have to say, well, you know, I'm doing the best with what I've got. How are you guys? But now they feel awkward because all they're doing now is working and being stressed because they're understaffed but they don't want to say that because they know I'm going through something that all I want is to yeah. be in their position, but they're still trying to be empathetic because they were in my position, but they're not anymore. So it's just this yeah. awkward moment of not really knowing how to communicate with people who are back to work. Um, and then additionally, I think we have it on the list to talk about it later, but you know, they're also legally in some cases not really permitted to talk about work but we used to have that in yeah. common. So it's kind of hard to talk about the things we enjoy with respect to work without them actually disclosing any information about work. So it just gets awkward yeah. and then there's silence and then there's weird feelings. And then you just end the conversation with, well, I'm really glad you guys are staying safe and healthy. Have a great day. I'm going to go cry now. <laughs> <laughs> I So you know, um, I set this up a little bit in the intro to the episode, but uh, we both work in the entertainment industry. So I, you know, the the entertainment industry has been pretty heavily, even maybe disproportionately affected um, when it comes to the pandemic, just because so much of the entertainment industry, like it relies on being able to bring crowds of people together. And, you know, whether that's a, a music concert in a live arena, or whether that's, you know, a show on Broadway or whether that's a local community theater, you know, even a drama teacher for a middle school is being disproportionately affected compared to, you know, like, how do you move that online? You know, there, like, there are just so many changes that our industry had to go through. And I think that for an entertainment perspective, entertainment professionals, because of the environment that you have to work in when you're working on a live show um, and you have to be willing, like, things are going to happen all the time. And you just have to be able to react to them and change things at the last minute. And you have to be adaptable in the moment. Um, Entertainment has always kind of just, they're a very resilient industry. But at the same time, I think that when the entire industry basically goes out of business at the same time, and not that we're not going to come back, but what do you do in the meantime? Do you wait for the industry to rebound? Do you look for other parts of the industry? Um, You know, for those of us that have spent 10, 15, 20, even up, you know, 30, 40 years in the industry, how do you quote unquote start over? You know, I, it's one thing for those in power to sit here and say, we're going to, um, you know, we, we can't extend this unemployment benefit or we can't do this, or we can't at this point go try something new. (laughs) But I think that that's easier said than done. Um, for a lot of people right now. And I, you know, and while I think that like we're experiencing it from an entertainment perspective, I don't think we're the only industry being impacted by that. You know, I know the next couple of months I'm hearing from a lot of my friends that work on um, airlines with like flight attendants, like they were like protected under a government program that went into effect early on. And now they're coming up on many of them are potentially facing layoffs and furloughs and there are just more waves of this coming and there are just not enough jobs out there. So how do you make the best of those situations and how do you continue to 
make forward progress um, or feel like you're making forward progress and not just sitting around. Because I think that there's also this misperception that we are, um, that like everyone that's furloughed is just sitting at home doing nothing, right? And I don't think that that's the case. Like most of us are actively looking for jobs. Most of us are actively looking at how to start those side hustles to get that second stream of income. They're, you know, they're um, doing informational interviews with people. They're taking classes. Like most of my peers are not just sitting at home collecting unemployment money, right? Yeah, you uh, definitely in that level last chunk said a lot of things that I could unpack with a lot of words um, (laughs) for sure. But I wanted to bring up something that I read in a book that you actually gave me a while ago, um, The Joy of Movement, where I read a definition for the term called collective effervescence, uh, which they defined as the euphoric self-transcendence that happens when a group of people move together. And that can be something like exercise, prayer, ritual, or they also mentioned work. Um, and you mm. you mentioned that a couple of sentences ago where we're so used to being around people or doing something. And our entire industry relies on bringing people together. And while we might not be, me specifically, I work on the technical side, you know, I'm not in a dance class, I'm not on stage performing, but being in that group of people collectively working towards something still gives you that feeling of joy whenever you're working together with someone to complete a common goal. And, you know, the the goal is usually something that touches a lot more people. You're not just creating a document that's going to an executive. You're not just building something that's going to go to a production line you're pouring your entire soul and all of your energy into creating something that's going to tell a story for some you are Mm -hmm. a part of creating that story. And by extension, you are a part of the story. So it's really hard to have that be shut off because it's part of who we are, but also it's part of how we get our income and how our industry thrives. So to have that completely crippled is pretty devastating both economically and personally. And I think that can be hard to navigate because to some people, like you said, they say, well, you know, just go get another job. But I was so deeply passionate about what I did. And Mm -hmm. I feel like not only was my source of income removed momentarily, but my self-worth I felt was depleted because I couldn't do what I loved. I couldn't do what I put so much energy into. And it's while necessary to go out and look for other jobs in a different industry, maybe to make a pivot or to transition to a different part of the industry that might be somewhat related, but not completely related feels like I'm making a pivot in personality as well. And I don't want to do that. So persevering through that challenge and also trying to preserve how I describe myself through that has been hard to manage for me emotionally anyway, and definitely adds to my emotional exhaustion because I'm just feeling like I'm having to reinvent not only my career, but myself and my own personality. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think too, like when, like when you're job searching, it's like, yeah, it's one thing to go on any number of job boards, right? that are out there and available and very easy to get to and to pick the random job posting, you know, whether that's 
through LinkedIn or whether that's through Indeed.com or whatever it may be and just say, oh yeah, I meet the qualifications for that and post for it. But when you come out of a field where you were, you had worked so hard to get into these positions that we're in because the entertainment industry is very competitive, right? So you, we had to fight hard for many years to get, for most of us to get into these positions and to finally feel like we made it. And then you're, now you're searching these job boards and you're like, well, I meet the qualifications for that, but am I going to be happy there? What do I know about that company? And honestly, at this point, how do you know what companies are stable? How do you know which companies are, you know, really going to come out of this on the back end? Like the pandemic has not over as much as I think we are wanting to say that the the bulk of it is behind us and things are going to start picking back up. And, you know, this people are striving and grabbing for this sense of normalcy that just isn't necessarily going to come back right away. And I think that that's hard for people to navigate too, is that we're trying to navigate wanting a job in a normal environment, but normal doesn't exist in the way that it did. And so it goes back to, I think, learning to manage expectations around it too. And I don't just mean our personal expectations. I mean, helping to manage our family's expectations of what our career is going to go into. I know, you know, my family, like they're trying to help me as best they can, but at the same time, like what they see as the right steps forward are not necessarily in line with what I feel are the right steps forward. I definitely went through that with my family at first too. Um, When I decided to go to college, my initial degree was in theater design and technology. It was a bachelor of the fine arts. My brother went to school for engineering and my various relatives either didn't go to college and they're part of the family business or they went into education or the military, all of the traditionally successful jobs. So when I said, well, mom, I want to go to theater school, um, the joke throughout that whole process and through theater school was, I'm going to go to theater school and I'm going to live in a box. Uh, So I got to a point where I got this job and I climbed the ladder fairly quickly for someone at my age, just because I had a very unique skill set. And I made at 26 years old, a pretty decent amount of money with the salary position. And I finally got there. I was like, I've made it. I'm doing well. My theater degree has worked out and I worked really hard for this. And I've been learning on the side, but you know, with just my theater degree as my completed degree, I finally felt like I made it, but now I feel like my family's fears of me living in a box on the side of the road because I have a theater degree is has been validated. And in this moment, it kind of has. So that's been frustrating and completely environmental and circumstantial and has nothing to do with my skills or abilities. That's still really hard because my entire family is working from either from home or they're you know essential and they're working in real life just like normal yeah. but it's been hard to go up oh, well there's Sam she was doing really well but you know now now she's living in a box um so their first reaction is to say well you obviously need to come home you, you, you need to just move out of your apartment and come home and just get a job at the grocery store and that's not I don't think it, in this current moment in the present moment that's not my best move now maybe in a couple months it might be but right now I don't think it is. So managing those expectations with your family is important because they don't really know. They don't know what you're going through. They didn't put in the type of work that we put in to get to where we were in the entertainment industry. So that can be really challenging. And searching for a job is daunting in general. And I don't think that we should discount the challenge behind that either. And maybe some people in my family anyway don't understand that. 
Well, and I think it, you know, it's not, it's not the same as when we, um, when you're job searching immediately out of college, right? Like it's not, it, times have changed. I mean, maybe, you know, the 2020 seniors that are going into their industries this year, yeah, they are certainly experiencing this. And I think to some extent, a lot of millennials faced this early on um, during the financial crash where, you know, the economy was down at the time that a lot of us entered the job market then. And I think that that's also um, part of what drives a lot of the anxiety and anxiousness and just it, the general um, feeling of being trapped again um, for some, um, of, for some of us is that, you know, it took us so long to get into this um to get to where we are in our careers because of what the economy was when we set up to come into our careers and when we first started in the job market, um, that now that we had finally gotten ourselves to a place where we felt like we were having forward progress, I think that's kind of doubled back now. And we feel like we're back to this like, okay, well, now it's 10 years later, but I have to try to start over all over again. But it's also, it's not so simple as to be like, okay, well, I'm just going to switch industries because like you said, it also goes back to what am I passionate about? I think a lot of, um, you know, there have been memes going around Facebook lately and just like Twitter comments and things about, you know, how the entertainment industry is not, it's not just our childhood passion. Like this is legitimately our career path and what we've poured ourselves into. And, um, you know, I think that like this whole like I said, the idea of go try something new. Of course, most of us are willing to go try something new, but what are you going to try that's new, that's going to fill, you know, help fill your soul in the way that the theater industry or the, you know, the live enter- the live events industry um, were like, that's like, as silly as it sounds, like telling a big name celebrity that's been singing their whole life's well, you know what? Why don't you go try to be a project manager now? Looks like singing's not going to work out for you anymore. Like your industry closed down. So why don't you just go try that? Or telling the NBA player, hey, you know what? You're going to go be a secretary now because we just can't play sports anymore. Like, I just think that like it, there's a misperception between, you know, what is just a childhood passion versus this is something that we have trained in for many, many years. Um, that we're now trying to navigate how to slowly, like you said, not even necessarily pivot away from the industry, but maybe pivot into a sector that's a little bit more removed or a little bit different than the path that we were on, per se, to a different area of the industry that might recover a little bit more. However, that, you know, works out in the coming months. And our skill sets are definitely really specialized and unique. So while we have all of those talents that are present in traditional jobs, it's hard up front to market those skills. And I think that's part of why a lot of us are having trouble right now getting yeah. jobs because it's not that we're not qualified and it's not that we don't meet those LinkedIn resume scanning robots that buzzwords. Just look yeah. for buzzwords. It's yeah. We typically have job titles that are unconventional or we have a job title that doesn't at all describe what we do, which is my case, my job title or my furloughed from job title doesn't at all describe what I do. Um, yeah. But we're also fairly communicative and 
pretty resilient, but the hardest part is there's so many people applying for jobs that once we get into a room with somebody, like once we get into that interview room, we can sell people. That's something we're really good at. We sell art, we sell stories, we sell ourselves, and we're really good at communicating our passion. But because there are so many people applying to jobs, it's hard to get to that point and get into that interview room. So how do you market yourself on paper to have those skills come across? And how do you kind of tell your own story without completely rewriting it and staying authentic, but also trying to reinvent yourself? And it's a lot of emotions and a lot of effort that feels unrewarded whenever you don't get that call back because you know you're qualified. I've looked at a lot of job descriptions in a lot of different companies and I definitely have the skills and the qualifications to perform the role but I can't find a way to market myself well enough on paper in the sea of everyone else who might have those and all those recent college graduates that have the degrees or they do meet the buzzword scanners and it's terrifying really I think you know something that I've seen with a lot of our of our peers and just friends in general that they're running into is, you know, when you've worked in one industry for so long, you're overqualified for entry-level positions by the time you're in your 30s, pretty much straight across the board. But you're also, we're not experienced enough maybe for mid-level positions, depending on the industry or the type of company that you're looking to transition to. Um, you know, I think that in general, a lot of a lot of businesses right now just have a job postings that they're hoping to hire for in the future. And they are not, um, they're not actively hiring, even though they have jobs posted. So you feel like you're, you're, you know, you're redoing your resume and your cover letter for every single job that you're posting for. But the reality is a lot of us are getting emails, but you know, if you are getting emails back from a lot of these postings, it's like, either people are not willing to pay relocation. And quite honestly, I don't think that most people are demanding relocation in the current environment. Obviously that when you're typically in, in our, in our pre pandemic normal world, you know, if you were going to move across the country for a job, you might look to that company for relocation assistance. And in the current state of things, you just are looking for steady employment and that might not be a deal breaker for someone. And yet I feel like there's this line of like, not all companies are giving people even the chance to have that interview because they see that their address is from out of state and they immediately assume that either they're looking for relocation money, that they're going to, if their other job comes back into play or something that they're going to immediately leave, if their industry rebounds, they're going to leave. When at this point, like, once you've been in these unemployed furloughed positions for four or five, six months, like a steady employment is steady employment, right? Like I just think that our expectations of things have also shifted in what we're looking for and what we're willing to make concessions on for ourselves, and where we're willing to maybe take a lower pay grade or maybe take, you know, like there are just other things that we're considering now that I know I personally wasn't considering three months ago when we were just in a different state with some of this. Yeah. And there's of course the economic assessment with respect to making a career pivot. So if you're trying to transition from the entertainment industry that has some roots in an engineering field and you want to transition to more of a technical or engineering oriented job, you have to 
maybe, maybe I have to, because that's a similar position uh, to what I'm in. You have to be okay with a pay cut because it's steady income, which is what most of us need right now, but you're going from something you're highly experienced in and you have those skills, but to transfer them and kind of start over, like you, you know that you're going to be brought in on a more intro level position. And that's harder to deal with because up front, you budgeted your whole life off of the salary that you were making and to say, well, you know, I need steady employment and that's probably going to mean taking a pay cut and that can be hard up front, but the benefits are long-term looking down the road is there's a higher ceiling for earning later, or I'm going to learn a new skill in this job or I'm going to develop the skills that I haven't had the chance to develop over the past couple of years, but making those decisions can be terrifying and scary and daunting and sometimes makes you less motivated to want that because part of us all just want what we had back and realizing that maybe that's not the best solution right now, or maybe that's not an option at the moment can be disheartening. Yeah. Um, so I know like for me personally, like I've been trying to think about like, you know, so when I go in for a job interview, what am I going to, how am I going to present the work that I've done or, you know, the skills that I've personally worked on, you know, during the time that we've been unemployed, furloughed, whatever that may be for your unique situation. Um, you know, what is it specifically? Like, what are the classes I've taken? What certifications have I gone after? Is it a new computer program I've learned? Is it coding that I've learned? Um, what is it specifically that I have done to better myself and make myself a more qualified applicant while being unemployed, right? I, so I think that it's important for everyone to kind of start thinking about what are those things for themselves. Um, other things that I know I've tried to do are just informational interviews with people, um, realizing that most people are not hiring right now, but at some point places will start to hire again. So um, getting, you know, building those relationships with your, you know, different industry contacts and just making sure to keep that open communication line so that you are front of mind with people when, um, you know, the opportunities start to kind of reemerge from all of this. And then, um, you know, my other kind of things are just kind of finding like, what is that, you know, whether it's a creative outlet, whether it's, you know, just learning to look more on the bright side of situations, what, like, what are those little things that you're doing for yourself to keep yourself going? Because honestly, like, the big part of the emotional exhaustion for me is just the days that I feel like I have to stay so hyper-focused on how do I get myself out of this situation? Whereas like I found it more productive recently to set certain hours of the day that I'm going to be very focused on trying to figure out what that next step is, but also having those times throughout the day that are more set aside for something creative or more set aside for just reading a book or those self-care things that are also really important for managing the um, emotional exhaustion. So anyways, I think that, you know, this has been a really good conversation. I hope that you guys have kind of taken away um, little nuggets of wisdom. Uh, hopefully... <laughs> Let us know if you're more of an Allison or more of a Sam when it comes to how you're processing and dealing with the emotional exhaustion. But um, I do have a passage from um, a book that I've read recently. It's called uh, Choose Them Wisely, Thoughts Become Things. It's by Mike Dooley. And it's basically a bunch of little just like 
sayings that, you know, he then goes in to explain a little bit further um, about how your thoughts become things. And I think that this is a really good um, passage to end on. So this one's called The Adventurous Club Oath. It says, it's time to renew our vows while not worrying about the hows. In the face of adversity, uncertainty, and conflicting sensory information, I hereby pledge to remain ever mindful of the magical, infinite, and loving reality I live in, a reality that conspires tirelessly in my favor. I further recognize that living within space and time as a creation amongst my creations is the ultimate adventure because thoughts become things, dreams do come true, and all things remain forever possible. As a being of light, I hereby resolve to live, love, and be happy at all costs, no matter what, with reverence and kindness for all, so be it. Your wishes are what the universe wishes for you, and your thoughts actually steer the ship of your dreams. This is the truth, and no matter where you've been or how challenging your circumstances, right here and now is all that matters, because you are forever invincible, a being of light on an adventure of the highest order, to have fun and be happy. You are powerful beyond measure. And that looks like a great place to wrap up for today. So thanks for joining me, Sam. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sam today. Some of my biggest takeaways were so much of this is just out of our control and we're up against unprecedented life circumstances that are just challenging to navigate. These feelings are so normal and we're all processing things in such different ways. Remember, you did nothing wrong in your job performance or anything like that to end up in the position that you're in. And honestly, it's not our job to have to sugarcoat what's happening or what our real and raw emotions are just to make someone that's not in our position feel better. We don't have to be okay right now, but we do have to keep moving forward. So hang in there, friends. And until next week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found a nugget of wisdom to encourage you to get out of your own way and to take action even when it feels hard. Resources and links discussed in today's episode can be found in the show notes. P.S. If you love this episode, I would really love for you to slide into my DMs on Instagram at but period what if you did period the podcast so that we can connect or better yet share this to your story or send it to a friend and tag me so that I can personally say thank you for coming along this journey with me. Until next time, friends, keep moving forward.